Nicely seated. Please can we all stand for the word of God? <laughs> so the reading today is taken from Luke 13, starting at verse 18 and ending at verse 30. The parable of the mustard seed. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The narrow door. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the amazing things you have been doing already this morning. And we beg you, God, do not stop. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak through your word. Amen. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm David Ingall. I'm part of the congregation here with uh, my lovely wife and daughter who were here uh, earlier this morning. Uh, and it is a great joy to be sharing with you this morning. And uh, if you do know me, you'll know that I'm a history buff. Uh, and I spent most of my university years studying ancient and medieval history. And I want to start by telling one of my favourite stories from those years. And it comes from the kind of last days of the Roman Empire or just beyond, in one of its frontier provinces. And it's the story of a young boy who grew up in what we'd now call a sort of pretty comfortable middle class uh, family. Both his uh, parents were well-educated. Um, his dad was, was actually ordained and in Christian ministry, as was his granddad. And life would have looked pretty good until he was 10. And when he was 10, everything went wrong and disaster struck. And a raiding party uh, hit the area that he was uh, living in, and he was uh, taken captive and carried off into slavery. And he spent six years living as a slave in a strange, pagan, foreign land. Until uh, at the age of 16, somehow he managed to escape and make his way back to his home. 
Perhaps the most amazing thing about the whole story and experience is despite the pain and the trauma and the suffering and the loss, he never lost his love and passion for Jesus. And one night in a vision, God called him back to the very people who had enslaved him and to take the gospel amongst them. And he actually faced all kinds of uh, problems and difficulties and hurdles and obstructions as he tried to do that because uh, the church in those days, it was, it was very well-educated, it was quite hierarchical. And if you wanted to be a church leader, if you wanted to be a missionary, you were expected to be well-educated, articulate, um, have all the right credentials. And here was a guy who didn't even finish primary school, didn't have any of the right credentials, couldn't write very well. In fact, everything we know really about his life comes from a little pamphlet he wrote at the end of it. And scholars remark on the fact that the Latin is almost ineligible. And, uh, and actually, he acknowledged all of this in, in that pamphlet he wrote at the end of his life, responding to the people who had criticized his ministry and him for having the presumption to try and put himself into church leadership. And he says, yes, I'm not well-educated. No, I'm not articulate. I can't string phrases together like I like to. I'm not a good public speaker. I'm terrified when I stand up in front of people. But he then compared himself to a letter from God to that people. And he said, what does it matter if it is not a learned letter? It is still a letter written in the very spirit of God. And so he went and did it nonetheless. And I love the story because any story like that, it it builds me up. It inspires me to see someone whose love and passion for God is just overwhelming and they're not put off by obstacles, they're not put off by opposition, and they just go for it. But what I find particularly powerful about that story is, well, long years, centuries have passed since he brought the gospel to those people and ministered amongst them. And uh, the the people who opposed him, who were so impressed by their own credentials and education and brilliance and glory, even their names have been forgotten to history. But his ministry and its fruit and impact still echoes down the generations to today. And the people amongst whom he ministered still remember him 1,500 years later. If you don't believe me, go find yourself an Irishman and ask if they've ever heard of St. Patrick, the man who brought the gospel to their nation. And I tell that story because it's such a beautiful illustration of this mustard seed, yeasty kingdom that Jesus is talking about in the first part of our passage. God loves to work through the small, through the seemingly insignificant, through people who don't think that they're all that and amazing. And he loves to bring mighty trees out of that. In fact, that's the way that God himself worked when he came amongst us. That's part of the problem, actually, that provokes this story. Jesus is responding to people who are saying, hang on a sec, you're talking about the kingdom of God breaking in. Um, You're implying that this is it. And sorry, mate, but you're not that impressive. You know, you're just a Galilean peasant in, in the backwaters of, of, of the empire. You're, you're not one of the priests in Jerusalem. You're not one of the leaders of uh, our nation. And, and the rabble that you've got around us and the people who come to hear you, this isn't what the kingdom of God would look like. And Jesus tells them this story and says, oh no, it is. 
And of course, we then look back over 2,000 years and we see the very empire that killed him finally came to worship him. And around the world today, two billion people say that they follow this Jesus. So it's a pretty big tree. But, but we can then sometimes fall into the mistake of thinking, oh, okay, well, that was then... And we just assume whether consciously or subconsciously, that's not, that's not for now. And we still look for the, the well-educated, rich, famous people, the guy with a million Instagram followers or whatever it might be, and we think that's who God needs to, to take the gospel wherever. That's what God is looking for to build his kingdom. You're wrong. It's not. He likes mustard seeds. He wants yeast. I, I, I couldn't have set it up any better, which makes me think God might have had a hand in it, than to have Rod kick the service off with the testimony that he shared. And you, you talked about feeling like you, you weren't any good standing up the front and talking about people. You, you, you talked about not feeling very eloquent. You might have nicked the words straight out of St. Patrick's mouth. You and he, peas in a pod, brothers. And, and you, you've discovered the truth like he discovered the truth of what Jesus is talking about at the start of this passage. But there's one part of it that you got wrong, forgive me for pointing it out, <laughs> and that part is that you think other people would do it better. And you, you, you've stepped out and you do it because you know God's calling you to do it, but you assume that some of the rest of us, well, they'd do it better. And you're wrong. And, and the reason you're wrong is because God loves mustard seeds. And, and he, he doesn't do mustard seeds because they've run out of coconuts in heaven. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to earth um, in the way that he did because he couldn't find the way to the palace or, or because he didn't have the resources and marketing budget to make it in Rome or Jerusalem. That is how God works. And I think the reason God works in, in, in that way was beautifully illustrated by you because you are reliant on him. When you, when you step out and you stand up and you speak what God's given you to speak, confident that you're not doing it well, although you are doing it better than you think you're doing it, you are reliant completely on God and his power and his Holy Spirit. And all those brilliant people with a million Instagram followers and all the credentials and all the rest of it who think that they're wonderful, God can't use them because they're relying on themselves. And that's the challenge to actually all of us. So, some of us here might be sat there thinking, I, I, I'm not very good at speaking to people. I, I don't have all the skills. You, you might be feeling like, like Rod. And some of us might be sort of somewhere along the spectrum. But actually, as I look out amongst us today, this is an extraordinarily gifted and talented group of people. When I read this story, I find a challenge in it for me because I'm not um, a slave, I'm not underprivileged, I'm not poor, and I, I'm not uneducated. In fact, I had the best education that money could buy. I went to Eton, decent universities. I, that probably tells you that I'm pretty well off financially as well. I'm all the things that actually Jesus in this passage is suggesting aren't so great. 
And so this isn't just a word of encouragement and, and, and building up those of us who feel, I don't have it all. It's also a word of challenge to those who think, actually, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good. And one of the things that I've discovered through my life is that actually God often needs to humble us and whittle us away when we think we've got the skills and the gifts that we need. And in, in fact, if, if like me, you are blessed and privileged, give thanks to God for the blessings and privileges that you've had. This is not me trying to say any of that's wrong. I, I thank God for that, but I then need to surrender it to him. And until I surrender it to him, until I can say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Until I stop relying on my education or my resources or whatever it might be, God can't use me. I'm the wrong seed. And I need to let it go. If I've got my bag of coconuts, I need to chuck them out of the trash on Monday morning. And instead, allow God to use that little mustard seed in me. And it's the same for all of us. But then when we do that, we can step out in confidence because we're not relying on me, on my resources, on what I can do. We are relying on God, and it is God who makes the mighty tree flourish and grow. And actually, that's not an easy message to hear, which sort of segues me into the second part of the passage, which is when it gets even harder. You probably noticed it if you were paying any attention. And actually, it, it opens uh, with Jesus engaging with a discussion, which was one of the big discussions amongst the very sorts of people who didn't think that they were mustard seeds and yeasts. The, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they loved to argue and discuss whether lots of people would be saved or not very many people would be saved. But the starting assumption was, of course, whether it was a big group or small group, it would include them, and they would be the leaders of it. And, and Jesus, I don't know if you spotted this, but he turns the whole thing round. So the person asks, Lord, will only a few people be saved? And Jesus responds by talking about you. So he says, strive to enter through the, the, the narrow door. Um, sorry, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door and say, Lord, open to us. And suddenly he switched it round, and he's saying to these people, it's not just that God wants to move and work through the, the small and the insignificant. And as the, the story finishes, he says, people will come from the north, east, south, and west to feast at the banquet of the kingdom. And there are many who are last will be first. He then continues that there some who are first will be last. And I think at its most fundamental, that self-reliance is a problem and comes out when it comes to salvation. And we are in a very similar society, I think, in this regard to the one that Jesus was digging into. Because Britain today is full of people who are relying on themselves for salvation. And they, they think that, oh, I'm, I'm good. Uh, some of you may have been here last, last week. J James was telling a story of an interaction he'd had with, with a friend of his, um, a really lovely, amazing person, uh, rich, privileged, but also generous and all the rest of it. And, and they'd been saying, well, I'm sure that, you know, when life's over, I've, I've tried my best, I've tried to be good, God, God, will, God will take that. 
And um, I'm sure James was very tempted not to, but he said what Jesus would have said, and he said no. And she was offended. And people are offended when we tell them, no, you're not good enough. No, you haven't hit the standard to get to heaven. No, you're not rich enough, beautiful enough, famous enough, impressive enough, whatever it might be. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And you need to put your faith in Jesus. And if you do, it does not matter whether you are none of those things. It doesn't matter whether you think you're at the bottom of the society in which you live. God will bring you in. But if you rely on yourself, the door will be shut. And, and, I, and again, I don't know if you noticed, but it's clearly Jesus who is the, 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 sort of the man in the story. And, and when they say, Lord, open to us, he replies, I do not know you or where you come from. And then he calls them evildoers or workers of lawlessness, which is sort of, a sort of shorthand in those days for people who were sort of outside the covenant. But, but he's not saying you'll be shut out because you didn't reach the standard. He's saying you'll be shut out because you do not know me and I don't know you. And so this is one of those places where Jesus is focusing everything on himself. We've had it in the first half. It's all about relying on Jesus and just bringing your little mustard seed in terms of, of ministry and, and the work of the kingdom. And here we have it about salvation itself. What do, we, what do we do with that? Well, I suppose the first thing to say is, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus, you, you need to know him. <laughs> if you are here today and you think that you will get to heaven because you're good enough or anything like that, you are wrong and you need to put your faith in Jesus. But the glorious thing is that's all you need to do. <laughs> but but make every effort or strive. The, the word that he uses when he says make stri strive to enter through the narrow door is actually the word from which we get agony or agonize. Do anything, whatever it takes. But that's not most of us. I know the faith of so many people in this room. I know that you follow Jesus. I know that he knows you. And I rejoice in it. And that is glorious, and that is wonderful. So you are not going to be one of the people banging on the door in eternity. But there is a hard-hitting message here for us as well. Because this is one of those places where Jesus teaches unambiguously that there will be people banging on the door of eternity who are on the wrong side of God eternally. And everything in us, frankly, rebels against that. We do not want to hear that message. And the world out there wants to hear it even less. The world out there is deeply offended by it and scandalized. Have you ever wondered why they killed Jesus? The world out there was deeply offended and scandalized it by it then as well as now. I sometimes say, if you have a picture of Jesus that doesn't get him killed at the end of it, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, wouldn't harm a fly and, you know, always cuddly, that's not the Jesus that we find in the pages of history. This is a man who got himself killed. But he got himself killed very deliberately. 
In fact, more than that, he was God who came to earth in order to die so that we might be saved. And so we we find ourselves with a very stark message. We do find ourselves with the stark message that there are people who will find themselves eternally on the wrong side of the judgment of God, and that is a terrible thing. But we also find ourselves with the message of a God who cares so passionately, who loves us and them so much that he did everything to make it possible that they did not need to. He came in squalor. He came at the bottom of society. He who should have had the glory of heaven has the ridicule of humanity. And then he is tortured and killed, and not just killed, but killed brutally, so that you and I might know the banquet he speaks about at the end of this passage. But friends, that means if we know that, if we believe that, we have an urgent necessity to tell the world. And and this is the thing which, where I want to be blunt and challenge you. We do not feel that urgent necessity as strongly as we should. When I started talking about how people would face judgment, I imagine quite a lot of you began to feel uncomfortable. I imagine most of us, in fact, began to think, do you know, I really struggle with this. This is one of those things that we don't like to preach about. Um, it's only when we do a wonderful sermon series like this, when we get made to preach about it, that we, that we do in many ways. And we want to avoid it, and we say we struggle with it as though sort of God is doing something sort of unfair and bad. But I feel God would say to you, I know you struggle with it. The problem is you don't struggle with it enough. Because if I did, I would not be so blasé and unconcerned about those people I know who are not yet believers. I would do anything I could to tell them about Jesus. I would be on my knees constantly praying them into the kingdom. I would be looking out for every opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I wouldn't mind if they slapped me in the face and threw it back. I'd be like Paul who was willing to die rather than not tell people about Jesus. I'd be like Patrick, who went back to the people who'd enslaved them because they needed to know about Jesus. And instead, I sort of go, well, he was a little bit rude to me last time I told him about Jesus. And actually, last time I, I, I was talking, uh, you know, telling someone the gospel, they reacted pretty badly, and so I don't think I'm going to do it again. And, and it got Jesus killed. I, I, I said earlier, I... I I used to want to preach sermons where I said to people, don't worry, you tell people about Jesus and it'll probably all go really well. And people will be nice to you. And sometimes it does and they are, and they are saved and we celebrate and we party and it's glorious. But sometimes they probably won't kill you actually. But it can be, it can be pretty negative. But we have to do it nonetheless. And I, I, I want to sort of pull back but I'm not going to. In, in fact, Jesus sort of rams it home. He says, narrow door, and then he says, and you'll be outside. And, and then he says, all the people that you look up to, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they'll all be coming into the kingdom of God, but you won't. Um, and he, he doesn't pull his punches. And I know that that bit isn't, as it were, aimed at us, because we are the ones who believe in Jesus. But I don't want to be there in eternity, realizing that our, 
I could have shared it with my neighbor, but I didn't. And this was all sort of brought home to me this, this week by um, a friend of mine texted me sort of out of the blue. He's one of my best uh, friends, or texted a bunch of us actually, one of my best friends at uni. But I haven't seen much of him in recent years because he's lived in Southern California for the last 15 years. And, um, but he, he was sort of texting a, a sort of group of us who sort of prayed together. Um, and he was letting us know that his mum had died. And it had been quite sudden and unexpected. So it's sort of really awful news. I mean, I was in tears by about halfway down the text. But then he said, now here's the encouraging news. And he said, the encouraging news is that my mum is with Jesus in heaven. And he said, humanly speaking, the reason why that happened was because a group of us, when we were at university, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And he then shared the gospel with his brother, and his brother shared the gospel with his mum. And for all of eternity, she will be in heaven, and he will be in heaven, and his brother will be in heaven, and their children will be in heaven, because we did something very simple and told him about Jesus. And he signed off the message, don't stop sharing Jesus. And that's the message I want to leave you guys with. Except I want to then flip back to the start of what I was saying and remind you. Because some of you are now thinking, but I'm not very good at this. And I'm not very eloquent. And I never spot the moments. And how do I do it? And you've got the mustard seed, friends. Patrick wasn't any good at it. Rod doesn't think he's any good at it. None of us are any good at it because you can't save anyone but Jesus can. So don't stop sharing Jesus. Amen. Can I just leave us, lead us in a little bit of response to that and then I'm going to hand over to Danny again. Um, can I just ask you to close your eyes? I'm just going to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I just want you to just let that settle for a bit. I'm not going to, I'll let Danny do it in a moment. I'm not going to lead you in response. I just want you to rest with what I've said and hopefully what God said through it. Come, Holy Spirit. Wow, thank you, David. Um, that's amazing and so challenging. And I love the way just even that Rod came up here in the beginning and then led into David and actually just ties in so much with something that I was thinking this week. And I was thinking of like all these amazing testimonies we hear and it's like, I want that. I want that story. I want that amazing testimony. Like I want to be, be able to tell those stories. And then it's like, cool, I have to step out and do something <laughs> to actually have that story. You know, I'm not going to have that story by not stepping out and not having that boldness. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And but we have to step out and we have to speak to that person or pray for that person or do whatever God's asking us to do. So maybe if I could ask the worship team to come up again and just lead us in a song. And I just love us to just have a moment with God and come forward if you want, stay in your seats if you want, but just 
ask God what, what that looks like for you. Is it for you to slow down? Is it for you to connect with God during the day to hear him in those little moments? Is it for boldness in when he speaks to you to take the step and do something that he's asking you to do? Is it to follow up with people? What is it? I think for each one of us, we've each got that mustard seed and it looks different for each of us, but we've all got it. And it would be amazing for us to be faithful with what God's given us in that. So maybe if we could hand over to Liam and the team.